DiscerningHearts.com presents A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University and has dedicated many years of extensive ministry to retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching on the spiritual life. He's also the author of several books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life. Father Gallagher is also featured in several series produced by EWTN, including Living the Discerning Life. A Lord of the Rings spiritual retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thanks again, Chris. We've been exploring the theme, as it were, the the wonderful experience of joy that is found in the Lord of the Rings. Yes, and that leads us now to what I'd say is the culminating expression, certainly the most articulated expression of joy in the entirety of the Lord of the Rings, and in which, as Tolkien um, explains when he describes the stories of fantasy and their purpose, Give us a glimpse of something deeper. So we are now at the fields of Cornwallen, which are in the land of Athelion, along the banks of the river Anduin. Sauron has been defeated and destroyed. Aragorn has led the forces of Gondor and their allies back to this field to recoup, as it were, from the battle. And unknown to themselves, on the brink of death, Sam and Frodo have been saved by the, the eagles and have been brought back to, to the, the land of Athelion. And this is the moment when Sam finally awakes. Now, in his letters, Tolkien writes, uh, he's writing to actually to his aunt, his Aunt Jane, and he tells her, I remember blotting the pages which now represent the welcome of Frodo and Sam on the field of Cornmullen with tears as I wrote. And I will say that as often as I have read through The Lord of the Rings and reached this point, uh, it still most of the time continues to move me to tears as well. I'm reminded as I say this of a line in uh, the writings of uh, Robert Frost in which, in a lovely expression, he says, No tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. No tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. And this is a point where there were tears in the writer. I remember blotting the pages with tears as I wrote. And I think the reader uh, who is engaged in the story shares some of that as he or she reads. Well, I'm just going to read this, which I think is the best way to go through this. When Sam awoke, he found that he was lying on some soft bed, but over him gently swayed wide beechen bows, and through their young leaves sunlight glimmered green and gold. We spoke earlier about this expression of Tolkien with as regards nature. He sat up, and then he saw that Frodo was lying beside him and slept peacefully. Full memory flooded back, and Sam cried aloud, It wasn't a dream. Then where are we? A voice spoke softly behind him, in the land of Athelion, in the keeping of the king. With that, Gandalf stood before him. Now, we need to remember that the last Sam saw of Gandalf Gandalf was his fall into the chasm in Moria as he battled the Balrog. 
And Sam, as far as he knows, Gandalf has simply uh, died at that point and is gone. And now here is Gandalf before him. With that, Gandalf stood before him, robed in white, his beard now gleaming like pure snow. Well, Master Samwise, how do you feel, he said. But Sam lay back and stared with open mouth, and for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is every sad, every sad, Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Now, that just gives us a glimpse into something very deep. Good Friday is real, but Good Friday becomes Easter Sunday. Good Friday does not disappear, but what appeared to be on Good Friday, uh, the end of hope and the death of all hope, is transformed on Easter Sunday into, as we now call it, Good Friday. We'll underline the word good there, the source of infinite blessing and redemption and salvation for the entirety of the world. The seeming defeat and end of hope on Good Friday does come untrue. What's happened to the world? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And it's an image of what we read in the end of the scripture. I'm going to quote from Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. And we just get a glimpse in, as I say, to my mind, the most beautiful and certainly the most articulated expression of joy in the Lord of the Rings. After the long journey of pain and sorrow and struggle and hopelessness, everything sad comes untrue. And where there was death, now there is life. What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then, as the sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring, and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased, and his laughter welled up, and laughing he sprang from the bed. How do I feel? he cried. Well, I don't know how to say it. I feel, I feel, he waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter, and sun on the leaves, and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I have ever heard. And that's what awaits us as we walk the journey faithfully and go through what may be times of darkness and struggle. We get some glimpses of the ultimate conclusion of the journey walked faithfully. We get some glimpses of that in this life but we know that the full experience awaits us in the world to come. Now, shortly after this, all that Sam had ever hoped for is fulfilled in another way. They, uh, Frodo and, and Sam have been led down to the fields of Cornmallen. A great throne is set up for Aragorn, who they now see for the first time revealed as the king. And to their surprise and somewhat confusion, Aragorn, before the whole host arrayed there on the fields, 
bows on his knee before them, takes them by the hand, and leads them up and seats them on the throne, and then cries out, praise them with great praise. And when the glad shout had welled up and died away again, to Sam's final and complete satisfaction and pure joy, a minstrel of Gondor stood forth and knelt and begged leave to sing. And behold, he said, Lo, lords and knights and men of valor and so on, now listen to my lay, for I will sing to you of Frodo of the Nine Fingers and the Ring of Doom. And if you remember, when Frodo and Sam were sitting, resting for that short while on high, on uh, above the stairs of Kirathungal, and Sam begins to realize that they're in a tale and says, I wonder if someday I'll ever hear our tale being sung. And that happens now. And when Sam heard when Sam heard that, he laughed aloud for sheer delight, and he stood up and cried, O great glory and splendor, and all my wishes have come true. And then he wept. And all the hosts laughed and wept, and in the midst of their merriment and tears, the clear voice of the minstrel rose like silver and gold, and all men were hushed. And he sang to them, now in the elven tongue, now in the speech of the West, until their hearts, wounded with sweet words, overflowed, and their joy was like swords, and they passed in thought out to regions where pain and delight flow together, and tears are the very wine of blessedness. With reverence, I wonder if we'll ever find a better literary description of what the joy of heaven will be like one day. Now, we move to a little different plane And this is the very end of the story now, the last few sentences of the entire heroic story of the Lord of the Rings. The ship has departed from the Grey Havens, Sam, Mary, and Pippin in silence, but with great comfort for each other, ride back, take their respective roads. Mary and Pippin go on to Buckland, and Sam turns now toward Bywater and the hill. But Sam turned to Bywater, and so came back up the hill as day was ending once more. And he went on, and there was yellow light and fire within, and the evening meal was ready, and he was expected. And Rose drew him in, and set him in his chair, and put little Eleanor upon his lap. He drew a deep breath. Well, I'm back, he said. And this is where the entire story ends, with the joys of home family, spouse, children, a meal together. The whole high story and all the drama leads to this. And it's very consciously chosen this way uh, by Tolkien. And Rose and Sam play a very important part, as he explains in his letters in the, in the story of The Lord of the Ring. You have high romance between men and women. The highest in The Lord of the Rings would be Aragorn and Arwen which is reminiscent of the earlier romance in the first age between Baron and Luthien. And then on a slightly lesser level, but still very much on a high level, the romance between Faramir and Eowyn. But on a level much more like that of most of us, you have this beautiful and, in quotes, ordinary romance between Sam and Rosie. And they represent the natural joys uh, in, in the vocation of marriage and in the way that most experience that call to marriage, its goodness and the joy of it. And that's where the entire story leads. Now, actually, in a slightly different way, there's something similar at the end of The Hobbit as well. 
As the story concludes, Gandalf and Balin have come to visit with Bilbo some years after the events that take place in The Hobbit. And they're sitting together in conversation, and Gandalf and Balin shared news with Bilbo of what's happened since his return home uh, to the dwarves and the men the, uh, the, under the mountain and the city of Dale. And here's the very conclusion of the entire story. Gandalf says to Bilbo, You are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Thank goodness, said Bilbo laughing, and he handed him the tobacco jar, and that's how the story ends, which is remarkable. Friends together in conversation, just talking of events that interest them, and just the simple, ordinary pleasures of life. So that kind of joy is is very present in Tolkien's heart. He certainly enjoyed these things very much in his own life as well. Remember, I think I, think I quoted earlier how he said that in everything but size, I am a hobbit. So that that joy is, is very much meant to be included in the story of The Lord of the Rings. We'll return to A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John S. of Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Did you also know that you can listen to Discerning Hearts programming wherever you download your favorite podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even on Audible, as well as numerous other worldwide podcast streaming platforms. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube channel? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcasts, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. An easy way to help Discerning Hearts is to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our Instagram and Facebook pages are vibrant spaces where you can engage with daily inspirational quotes from the saints, streaming DH broadcast encounters, and updates about our latest offerings. On our YouTube channel, you'll find a treasure trove of video podcasts, interviews, guided meditations and prayers, and reflections from renowned spiritual leaders. These resources are carefully curated to provide guidance, wisdom, and insights that can help you discern life's challenges with a sense of purpose and peace. By subscribing, following, and engaging with Discerning Hearts on these platforms, you're not only enriching your own spiritual journey, but also helping to spread awareness of our mission. Every like, share, and comment helps us reach more people who are seeking meaningful growth and connection. So, please take a moment to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, and then share with a friend. 
Join the Discerning Hearts community and embark on a transformative spiritual journey alongside fellow seekers. Your engagement not only benefits you, but also contributes to the growth and impact of Discerning Hearts. We now return to A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. Now, I'd like to move toward a few more quotations, some uh, two quotations from Tolkien's letters, and then something that he says in his wonderful essay on fairy stories, as he entitles it. And this will lead us into the real heart of The Lord of the Rings, and I think the reason why something in us so delights in it. Certainly above all, as Tolkien repeatedly says, it, he just intended to write a good story and obviously eminently suge- uh, succeeded at that. But beyond that, there's a reason why this particular story speaks so deeply to us. In 1944, when the war was going on, Tolkien wrote a number of letters to his son Christopher, who was in South Africa in the military at the time. And in this particular letter, in November of 1944, he writes to his son Christopher. So he says, On Sunday, Prisca, his youngest daughter, Priscilla, and I cycled in wind and rain to St. Gregory's, which was the Catholic Church in Oxford. We had one of Father C's. Father C is Father Douglas Carter, who was the parish priest of St. Gregory's. We had one of Father C's best sermons, and then he puts in parentheses and longest, a wonderful commentary on the Gospel of the Sunday, which was the healing of the woman with the hemorrhage and of Jairus' daughter, made intensely vivid by his comparison of the three evangelists. And then Tolkien goes on to indicate how Father Carter, in his homily, took illustrations from modern miracles to reflect on the the two miracles which were part of the Gospel of the Sunday. And he describes one of these briefly, but another which which was a healing which took place in the context of Lourdes. Lourdes, He describes in some detail to uh, Christopher, his son. And this was the story Father Carter told. Uh, This took place in 1927. It was one of the miracles that is attested by doctors. Uh, A little boy with a particularly grave form of tuberculosis who was brought by his parents to Lourdes in the hope of being healed and was not healed and was taken with sadness away from Lourdes by his parents to the train to depart from Lourdes, practically dying attended by two nurses. Then as the train began to move, it passed within sight of the grotto. And as that happened, the little boy sat up and said, I want to, I want to go and talk to the little girl. On the same train, there was another little girl whom in some way he had met while they were at Lourdes. And he got up, he walked back to where the little girl was and spent time playing with her, then came back and said, I'm hungry now. And they gave him cake, two bowls of chocolate, and then Tolkien says, an enormous potted meat sandwiches, and he ate them. So that's the story. And now Tolkien writes to Christopher, at the story of the little boy, which is a fully attested fact, of course, with its apparent sad ending, and then its sudden, unhoped-for, happy ending. And this is the thing that really moves Tolkien. Everything seems to be heading toward a sad conclusion. And then suddenly there is the unhoped-for, happy ending. At that, he says, I was deeply moved, 
and had that peculiar emotion we all have, though not often. It is quite unlike any other sensation. And all of a sudden I realized what it was. The very thing that I have been trying to write about and explain in that fairy story essay that I so much wish you had read that I think I shall send it to you. And we'll comment on that in uh, just a, a few moments. Mm-hmm. For it, I coined the word eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe. So that's our familiar word catastrophe. And what Tolkien has done is to place before it as a prefix, the Greek prefix eu, which means good. So we have words like eulogy and euphoric and so on. So this is eucatastrophe, literally a good catastrophe, which by which Tolkien means this, as he immediately tells Christopher, the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears, which I argued in that essay, as we'll see, it is the highest function of fairy stories to produce. And I was there led to the view that it produces its peculiar effect because it is a sudden glimpse of truth, and he writes truth with a capital T. Your whole nature, chained in material cause and effect, the chain of death, feels a sudden relief as if a major limb out of joint had suddenly snapped back. It perceives, if the story has literary truth on the secondary, on the second plane, which he describes in the essay, that is, if the story is written well as sub-creation, as Tolkien talks about it in the essay, God is the creator, but God instills the power to create in human persons in a way that is a sub-creation within God's creation. And that's what the writer is doing. So if that's well done, that this isn't, we see, we suddenly realize that this is indeed how things really do work in the great world for which our nature is made. And I concluded by saying that the resurrection was the greatest eucatastrophe possible in the greatest fairy story, but this one's real. Now, by, what, by that, what Tolkien means is, as I said earlier, you have Good Friday, where everything appears to be ending in defeat and hopelessness and, and despair, death. And then suddenly, on Easter Sunday, you have the sudden joyous turn in which every all the sorrow is undone and joy and victory now emerge. So he says, I concluded by saying that the resurrection was the greatest eucatastrophe and produces that essential emotion, Christian joy. Which Now, can you see, this is why I'm saying I think this is the real heart of what delights us in the Lord of the Rings, because ultimately what Tolkien is doing is figuring in a secondary world, in a sub-created world, the way things really are in what he calls the primary world or the world in which we live, that this is the deep root of the entire story, eucatastrophe, that as dark as things seem, and as much as the darkness may seem to be growing and becoming overwhelming, as it did to Sam and Frodo and, and the, the so weakened forces trying to fight against the might of Sauron, and then you have that sudden happy turn in which the ring is destroyed and evil is undone. That's the truth of things. That's the truth of the entire history of the world. In in the words of John Paul II, he would say that the redemption pervades all of human history. And so this produces that essential Christian emotion, Christian joy, which produces tears because it is qualitatively so like sorrow, because it comes from those places where sorrow and joy are at one, reconciled, 
as selfishness and altruism are lost in love. And now I point out to Christopher, the difference with the Gospels is that this is real. Of course, I do not mean that the Gospels tell what is only a fairy story, but I do mean very strongly that they tell a fairy story in Tolkien's sense of what a fairy story is, colon, the greatest. Man the storyteller would have to be redeemed in a manner consonant with his nature by a moving story, which I've always found a lovely thought. All of us love stories. You know, you listen to a homily and the story begins. Your attention is right there. Or you read a book that um, has, has a story and you want to know what's going to happen. It's, it's built into us by God, this love of stories and storytelling. And so Tolkien says, it's only right then that our salvation would be worked through a story and the greatest of all stories, that we would be redeemed, as he says, in a manner consonant with our nature by a moving story. But, and he underlines but, since the author of it is the supreme artist and the author of reality, those words are capitalized, artist and author, this one was also made to be, with a capital B, to be true on the primary plane, to be real in the world in which we live. So that in the primary miracle, the resurrection, and the lesser Christian miracles, too, though less, you have not only that sudden glimpse of the truth behind the apparent constraint of our world, but a glimpse that is actually a ray of light through the very chinks of the universe around us. And then a little later in this letter, he says, To descend to lesser things, I knew that I had written a story of worth in The Hobbit, when reading it, after it was old enough to be detached from me, I had suddenly, in a fairly strong measure, the eucatastrophic emotion at Bilbo's exclamation, The Eagles Are Coming. You've been listening to A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher.